Matthew chapter number two. Matthew chapter two, when you find it, let's go ahead and stand together as we continue our series, Waiting on Christmas. And I'm gonna look at a few more characters today and I will go ahead and tell you this, this was not my plan, but uh, tonight we will conclude this series. We're gonna do it next Sunday, even if it was after Christmas, but uh, the Lord's laid something on our heart for the new year to prepare for that. And so we're gonna conclude this series tonight, uh, Waiting on Christmas. So I wanna encourage you to be back for that as we'll close out this thought. Matthew chapter two, and we're gonna pick up in verse number one and I'll read a few verses and we'll pray and let you be seated. Matthew 2, 1, the Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, I do thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the topic of what we'll preach on this morning. And Lord, for this season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that if there's one here, uh, Lord, who knows that he is a Savior, but not their Savior, they'll come to know him today. I pray your Holy Spirit would work in every heart that's here today. Lord, show the lost their need for salvation. Show the saved, Lord, their need to prioritize their life around Lord Christ. And I pray that we'll leave here having done your will today, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The last two weeks, we've been looking at this series, Waiting on Christmas. And each week, I've kind of explained the burden just a little bit behind this series. And the burden is to help us contrast a little bit of the things that we look forward to around the Christmas season. And I don't think there's anything wrong with tradition. I am a very traditional person, a very sentimental person, and I like to do a lot of the same things over and over again from year to year. But oftentimes, as we've mentioned throughout this series, the traditions overshadow the truth at times of what the season is all about. And the goal of what the Lord put on my heart as we prepared these four messages was to help us contrast what we look forward to in comparison to what those who were looking forward to the birth of Christ on that first Christmas. I don't know how the Lord has worked in your heart through this series, but I'll tell you how he has worked in my heart, even though I'm the one preaching it. I assure you the Lord has worked over my heart pretty good. And what I have discovered about myself is that oftentimes I look forward to things at Christmas time that are very temporal. And I look forward to things around Christmas time that are very selfish. Uh, I'm only 39, and I love putting the only in front of the 39. I'm only 39 years old, and I still look forward to opening my gifts on Christmas morning. Uh, my wife uh, has given me very little clues this year. Usually, I'm pretty sharp, whether you realize that or not, and uh, I can sniff out what I'm getting. This year, she hasn't given me a whole lot of clues, and I haven't taken the time to weigh the packages you know, and shake them, but uh, usually I have a pretty good idea what I'm getting. This year, I have no clue what I'm getting, and as long as you don't have to feed it, I'm fine with that. But oftentimes, we look forward to what's under the tree. And we look forward to the traditions and we look forward to the opportunities to get together. But all of these things are very temporal and they're very selfish. And if you're anything like me, I hope you're not, but if you're anything like me, you'll find that many of the times the things that we're really waiting on for Christmas season to roll around are things that are truly aside from the point. And sometimes we just need to go back. We need to get zeroed back in. It's kind of like our cars. You know, our cars get out of alignment. It's just a natural tendency for things to get away from a pristine shape and a, a clear focus. And sometimes it's good to go all the way back to the beginning that we might kind of get realigned a little bit. And Matthew chapter 2 has given us that opportunity. We looked at Mary and Joseph the first week. 
Very obvious characters in that first Christmas morning. And we saw how Mary and Joseph were waiting on all of the promises that God had made. And just like Mary and Joseph, you and I were also waiting on the promise of Jesus Christ, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, and the coming King that we will get to rule and reign with. Last week we looked at the shepherds and learned a little bit about the shepherds of how those shepherds were startled when the angels appeared in the sky and began to tell them that Jesus was born and they would go and they would see them and how these shepherds were waiting on something unexpected. I don't know about you, but that one dealt with me a lot that oftentimes what we need more than anything is for God to interrupt our life and do something miraculous. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to trust Christ as your Savior, whether you plan on getting saved today or not, you ought to let God interrupt your life and do something miraculous in the saving of your soul. Today in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at some other very common characters. They are the wise men. I'm not going to dig into all of the speculation on who the wise men were, and I hate to bust your bubble on any of the sentimental and any of the uh, usual ideas we have about the wise men. A lot of it is just speculation, and I'm not going to mess up your speculation with my speculation. And learned years ago, when God is silent on something, you be silent on it. And when God speaks up on something, you speak up on it. I don't know if they were three. I don't know if they were kings. I don't even know if they rode on camels. I just dashed a lot of your hopes, didn't I? We had that picture of the three kings on the camels riding across the hill coming to the manger. And as best we can tell, those things are not necessarily exactly what happened. But hey, God didn't tell us, so we're left to speculate on that. But as we look at these wise men, we see something totally different than the shepherds. The shepherds did not know what was happening. The angel appeared in the sky and announced to them that the Savior was being born and the shepherds would follow and go after what was unexpected. But we can see here clearly through Scripture that the wise men obviously knew of the coming of our Savior. It's easy to see that they were expecting him. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. The Bible says that wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now we're left to speculate on how they knew. God doesn't specifically tell us how they knew where he was at and when he was going to be there, but we have a few ideas. We know they came from the east. I'm just giving you speculation, okay? Don't run me down after church and say, the Bible doesn't say that specifically. But we can put together a picture. They came from the east, possibly or probably Babylon. Babylon was the place where Daniel obviously gave much prophecy about the coming of our Savior. And so, most likely, the Magi, as they are called, these were very well versed in literature and the reading and the Hebrew doctrines. And so, they knew that there would be a coming king sooner or later. Perhaps the verse in the book of Numbers will not turn there where the prophecy of Christ in the book of Numbers, the Bible says, there shall come, capital S, a star out of Jacob. Perhaps they were referring to that and that's how they knew when he was come or maybe even they counted the weeks of Daniel and knew about the target time of when Christ would be born. But ultimately, we don't know how they had the knowledge, but we do know that they knew what was going on. You say, well, how does that relate to us this morning? We're going to jump into this here in just a moment. But the reason that we can relate to the wise men is because we have the knowledge of the coming of our Savior as well. I want you to think about that. They had the knowledge. Now, how they got the knowledge, we don't know. Ultimately, God allowed them to have the knowledge to know that his son was going to be born, the king of the Jews would be born, and they went after the king of the Jews. Now, here's what we've got to relate to this morning. They did something with the knowledge that they had. 
They knew the Savior was going to be born. We don't know how they knew that, but they knew it. And they obviously were seeking him, and they were taking the opportunity that the knowledge presented them. Now, that's where we differ oftentimes. Oftentimes, look, we have the word of God. This is what God wants us to know. Aren't you glad that God preserved his word so that we could know all of the things that he's prepared for us? That we could know that, hey, his son will return the second time to this earth. But here's our problem. The wise men took the knowledge and used it as an opportunity, whereas we ignore the knowledge God gives us, and we do not take advantage of the opportunities that God presents to us through his word. So this morning, we're going to look at the wise men, and what they were waiting on was, I believe, they were waiting on the opportunity. They were waiting on the opportunity. They had the knowledge. They just needed the opportunity. And like these wise men, we're going to learn from them this morning, we can see exactly what we can do with the opportunity that God gives us. So look at verse number one. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now watch closely. They had a knowledge of the coming of the Savior. So what did they do? They took the knowledge and they did something with it. They acted upon that knowledge and it provided them, number one this morning, with the opportunity to prepare. Now think about this, if you will. Because they had the knowledge of the coming Savior, it gave them an opportunity to prepare for his coming. Now, folks, I believe every one of us this morning ought to take note from the wise men. God loved them enough that he let them in on what he was doing, and they took full advantage of that knowledge and began to prepare for his arrival. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I've heard many messages about the second coming of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. But the question is, how often do we take that knowledge and use it as an opportunity to prepare for his coming? So how do you know they prepared? Look, the Bible says here, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They were ready. They were ready. They weren't surprised. Matter of fact, they went looking for him. I used to have a a bad habit. I used to. I don't have it anymore. Of inviting people over to our house for dinner without telling my wife. That's why I used to have that habit. You notice I'm still living and have not been... Not been run off just yet. I would tell my wife after church on Sunday night, hey, I invited so-and-so and their family and their, their kids over for dinner. She says, what? And she has a nice smile on her face, but you can see the terror behind her eyes. She didn't know. She said, "If you look, I don't, I don't mind you inviting people over, but if you're going to invite people over, could you just give me about at least 10 minutes you know, to warm up some beanie wieners or open some cans of Vienna sausage, something like that? You see, she was not able to prepare for their arrival because she didn't have the knowledge that they were coming. She says, if I had the knowledge, I would have easily prepared something. That way we were ready when they got here. Now, folks, listen, God has given us the knowledge this morning just as he gave the knowledge to the wise men that Christ was coming, but we must take the opportunity to use that knowledge to prepare. I've told you this many times. He's one for one. He said he was coming, and he came. Now, I want you to know, he says he's coming again. Now, we should take that knowledge that he's given us and use as an opportunity. Listen, too many of us dread the coming of the Lord. We dread it. 
Like I, don't, I remember my dad, we were going down the road years ago. I think I was about 13, and we were taking a girl home from my birthday party. She was my girlfriend at the time. Don't worry, I've already told my wife about it, and she's cool with that. But, uh, you know, 13, 13, you're real serious. You know, we were going together. I don't know where we were going, but we were going together. You know, I hear these kids, I like them, and I like them. And what does that mean in the whole span of the universe? It means nothing when you're 13 years old. But we were driving home. My dad was riding with us. We were coming up Highway 84 near Calhoun, and my dad was talking about the signs of the times, and this was 1993, all right? The world was a lot more tame back in 1993, and I remember, remember her sitting in the back seat, and she says, oh, I don't want to hear that. Oh, I don't want to hear that. That's the way most of us are. We don't want to hear about the Lord coming back and his arrival. Why? Because it would interrupt our life. But understand, God allows us to know that he's coming. Why? So that we can prepare God doesn't want us to be in the dark. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. Read it when you get home. The Bible says that Paul, speaking to the church at Thessalonica, he says, we're not in the dark. We're not in the dark on this, that the day should come and overtake us as a thief. Listen, God doesn't want his children to sit in darkness this morning. He wants you to know, just like he wanted the wise men to know, that he's coming back. And he tells you that not to scare you. He tells you that so that you can be prepared for when he arrives and you're not scared. I thank God for the word of God. Because you know what the word of God does? It helps us get prepared. Aren't you glad? The word of God, listen, this is not just a book we read as a lucky rabbit's foot to fend off bad days. Sometimes I think, i got to read my Bible today so I don't have a blowout. i got to read my Bible today so I don't catch the flu. Can I tell you, that's not what the Bible's for. God preserved this, his word. God gave us this knowledge so that we could be prepared, number one, for heaven. This book contains how we can know for sure that if we died, we're going to heaven. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to take the knowledge that God's given us. Why? So we can be prepared. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful, the trump of God's sound, and all of a sudden you don't have this terrifying feeling down the back of your neck? Does your neck get hot when you get scared? Anybody else do that? I don't know why it does that. I need to research that. Some of you doctors figure that out while that happens. I hate when my neck gets hot. That means it's, it's something really bad going on. A lot of our neck's going to get really hot when the trump of God sounds. Why? We're not prepared. And the sad thing is, we could have been prepared. Why? We had the knowledge. The wise men are seeking out Christ because he gave them the knowledge that he was coming. And they were prepared. I think about our church. Boy, I tell you, this burned my heart lately. I think about the importance of this church and this community. It's important this church preach the word of God in this community. Why? Because it's the word of God that gets us prepared and our community prepared to meet Christ. I hate to say it. There's a lot of churches that are not preparing their people. Look, I enjoy fellowships. I enjoy fun. Boy, wasn't the outdoor service fun the other night? We had s'mores and hot chocolate and they even let me help. I got the most important job in the building. I got to spray the whipped cream in the hot chocolate. I mean, that's an important job, you know? I mean, you give the whipped cream to the wrong people, they're going to, you know, you don't want that happening on church property. So they let me put that whipped cream. But wasn't that fun? I enjoyed the service outside, gathered around the fire. We had good fellowship. Nothing wrong with fellowship. Nothing wrong with having a good time. 
When you come to church and all you do is watch movies and you have fun, can I tell you, that church is not doing the job of preparing its people for the coming of the Lord. No, I know sometimes that the preaching may not be the greatest. I know sometimes it may not make us feel warm and fuzzy. But listen, the job of the church is not to make people feel warm and fuzzy. It's to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. Look, I'd rather be cold and not warm and fuzzy and meet the Lord prepared and for him to come and me not be ready. I read a verse last night, boy, and how it stirred my heart. You know, I'll be honest with you, and you'd probably be honest too. You'd say the same thing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can be so inconvenient to our lifestyle. You know, sometimes I want to be mad at my wife about something. I don't know. She's pretty perfect most of the time. Every once in a while, I just feel like being grumpy. And I want to be mad, and the Holy Spirit just bothers the fire out of me. You know, wanting me to be Christ-like. Wanting me to love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I mean, the Holy Spirit at times can just bother me. But I'll tell you this. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit's doing when he speaks to you? He's trying to get you prepared. Turn with me real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to see something. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. The wise men saw the knowledge that God gave them as an opportunity the Holy Spirit comes to you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look down at verse number 9. The Bible says, but it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Well, that's an exciting verse, isn't it? The Bible says in verse number 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his what? Spirit. That means God has prepared so much for his people. Listen, wonderful spiritual truths, but they're revealed to us by his spirit. That means the Holy Spirit comes to us. He's trying to let us in on what God has prepared. But most of the time, we shoo the Holy Spirit off like a fruit fly. You know how those are obnoxious sometimes? We were at Cracker Barrel the other day, and man, there was a fly. He just got in the door. It wasn't their fault, but this fly, I mean, if I was a fly, I'd want to go to Cracker Barrel too. We're sitting there at the table, and for some odd reason, the fly took a liking to me. And I mean, I don't blame him, do you? And he's just flying around my head. And I'm sitting there trying to eat. I mean, somebody probably thought I was just really in the spirit. I'm sitting there, you know, trying to swat this thing away and trying to eat my broccoli without cheese, without butter, because I'm trying to do better and swatting that fly away. He just bothered me. And sometimes that's the way the Holy Spirit is, isn't it? Holy Spirit comes and he speaks and he prods at us and he tugs at us. And we're like, I don't want you to bother me right now. But wait a minute. Don't shoo away the Holy Spirit. Why? He's trying to bring you the knowledge, and the knowledge is an opportunity to do what? Look at verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So watch verse 9. The Bible says God's prepared all of these wonderful spiritual truths. And God's prepared them for his children. And he wants us to know them by his Holy Spirit. But the problem is we don't want to know what God wants us to know. The Holy Spirit comes to us through a service. It may not even be something the preacher's preaching on. 
The Holy Spirit has something to say. He has something to show, and yet we shoo him away. Folks, listen, we should not shoo away the Word of God. We should not stay away from the church of God. We should not shoo away the Spirit of God. Why? Because it brings us the knowledge that provides the opportunity to know what God wants us to know. So number one this morning, the opportunity to do what? To prepare. You ever have one of those people, I have a lot of friends like this, that you know when they text you something's wrong? They're needy. You ever, anybody have needy friends? Let's just be honest. We're in church. Everybody has needy friends, and you know the only time they text you is when they need something, right? Come on, folks. Some of you are lying by your looks this morning. Everybody's got a friend like that. Don't make me feel bad. Somebody nod your head. Yeah, I have a friend like that. And all of a sudden, you see it, and their name pops up on the text, and you don't even want to open it, do you? Because you know. You ever have? You have there's certain types of people in the world. The only time they text you is when they get something new. They want to tell you about it. Or the other kind is that wants to text you and tell you everything that's wrong in their life. Remember, I don't like being around pessimists. I've been an optimist. And I see the number pull up. I don't even want to open it. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit sometimes. That's how it is with the Word of God sometimes. We don't want to read it. We don't want to hear from God. We don't want the Holy Spirit speak. Why? Because he might just be interrupting our life. But the sad thing is we're the ones missing out. You see, too often what happens is God's Word presents an obstacle to our plans rather than opportunity for what God's prepared. Think about that. The Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God oftentimes proves or presents an obstacle to what we have planned rather than an opportunity to what God's prepared. Can I tell you, nothing you have planned this morning can overshadow the things that God's prepared, but you've got to be willing to take the opportunity that God presents to us. Now, here's what's interesting. You look up the Magi, the wise men. You'll find out another name. They were called the Sky Watchers. Okay, not the Skywalkers. Some of you Star Wars people just perked up for the first time to the whole message. You're like, oh, no, it's, no, Star Wars is not in the Bible. Okay? Some of you just uh, got excited. Go back to sleep. It's okay. They were known as Sky Watchers. They were very much into astrology, okay? And they would watch the sky, and they would watch the stars, and you notice in verse 2, they said, we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. You see, watch this. The knowledge that they had was preparing them to meet him. The knowledge that they had, they took advantage of it, and they were preparing to meet him. Can I tell you, they were looking forward to meeting Christ, why? Because they had took advantage of the opportunity that was presented by the knowledge. You know, if we just took advantage of the knowledge of what God's giving us, we could be prepared to meet him. Amen. That's why the Bible calls it a blessed hope in the book of Titus. The Bible says the glorious appearing. Now, I want you to think about the contrast this morning of the coming of Christ the Bible says in Titus, it's the glorious appearing, the blessed hope. I'll tell you, for most of us, it's anything but that. Can I tell you why? It's because we have not taken the opportunity of the, of the knowledge that God's given us to be prepared. God doesn't want us to be here when he arrives and worried and afraid. No, God wants us to be prepared. Just as the wise men, he gave them the knowledge that they needed. I was led a man to the Lord the other day at the hospital. I was going down, I had my New Testament up pocket, and I was going down through the plan of salvation. And it's kind of harsh sometimes when you tell people they're sinners. You know, that's not the most politically correct thing to do in the society today is tell people they're wrong. It just goes all over people today when you tell them they're wrong. Yeah, I have the same problem as well. And I got to the part where the Bible says, for all have sinned. And, and, well, that's tough when you have to tell somebody that. It's kind of harsh. But you know what that verse is doing? 
It's preparing us. You see, God put in there the things we needed to hear. Why? He wants us to be prepared to meet him. Folks, if I didn't know about my sin problem, I wouldn't see the need for the answer to my sin problem, which was Christ. And so I'm thankful that God included the knowledge that I could know that I was a sinner. There's a price for sin, which is hell. But Jesus Christ paid my price, and I could put my faith and trust in him. I'm thankful for that. Why? Because it prepares me to meet him. Can I ask you this morning, are you prepared to meet him? Are you prepared to meet him? You don't have to be unprepared. How frightening it must be or will be for those who are not prepared. The trumpet of God sounds and he comes back and they're not going. But notice, if you will, the Bible says, if you'll keep reading, that these wise men would bring gifts unto Christ. Not only were they prepared to meet him. Verse 11, the Bible says, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Not only were they prepared to meet him, but they were prepared to greet him as well. They had something, listen close, to lay at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because they took seriously the knowledge of what God had revealed unto them. Now folks, after you get saved, your next desire and goal in your life should be that when you see Jesus, you have something to lay at his feet. Right now, all of the things that mean so much to us, having our name in lights, building bigger and better, and, and being known for this and known for that, they really won't matter one day. It really won't. All that will matter is that we've done something in this life that will provide a reward or a crown to lay at the feet of Jesus. Now listen to me, folks. The word of God is clear on how we can live so that we will have something to lay at the feet of Christ when we stand before him. Now, sadly, we don't take that seriously enough. We know he's coming. Folks, can I tell you, look, we don't know when he's coming, but we know he's coming, correct? But we're not living like we know he's coming. And when he comes, we're going to have nothing to lay at his feet because we didn't take the time to take the knowledge of his word to prepare that we might have something to lay at the feet of Jesus. These men came prepared. Why? Because they took his word seriously. The sad thing is we don't do anything with what we know. We're not prepared to meet God, and we're not prepared to greet him when he returns. Why? Because we're missing out on the opportunity. But here's what's neat. Look at verse number two, and we'll move on. Number one, the opportunity to prepare. Number two, the Bible says they're asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. Now notice the next words, and are come. And are come. So, verse 1, the Bible says they came from the east. Verse 2, the Bible says they've come. Now, here's what's interesting. Knowing Christ was coming, it allowed them to get prepared. But number 2, notice, it gave them the opportunity to pursue. This is what we're going to get into a little bit deeper this morning. It gave them the opportunity to pursue it. Here's what's interesting about opportunities. They're only productive if you pursue them. How many of you are done with your shopping? Raise your hand. I'm done with my shopping. Bless you. How many of you are not? Raise your hand. Oh, bless you. How many of you have shopped a sale at some point during this Christmas season for you? Say, I've shopped a sale. All right, put your hands down. Now, here's, here's what's neat about a sale. Either you read about it in the paper, you see about it online, or somebody tells you about a sale, and here's what you do. You find out that something's on sale. My wife introduced me to something quite wonderful the other day. 
is that you can get a 40% off coupon on your phone for Hobby Lobby, like all day, any day, every day of the week. How awesome is that? And so I've got to where I use it. I don't even have, my wife's not even with me. I went there last night by myself, went on in there and used those coupons. Isn't that awesome? You find out about it, but watch this. The opportunity of the sale only works if you pursue after it, okay? You've got to decide, I'm going to act on the knowledge that I have. Now, notice what they did. They had the knowledge. Verse 1 and 2, the Bible says that they came. They came. They pursued after the opportunity of what God had showed them. Now, folks, understand this. When God makes his will known to us, as wonderful as it is, as wonderful as all that God's prepared, it it will be useless to you if you don't pursue after it. The wise men would have missed out on experiencing Christ up close and personal had they not pursued the knowledge of what God had told them. It's kind of like our Declaration of Independence like I've mentioned this before, there's a line in there we oftentimes misquote. The Bible, no, the Declaration of Independence says that we have these rights. And among them is life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Notice it didn't say happiness. There's a lot of people in our society, they miss out on that. It didn't say we have the right to happiness. You have the right to pursue it. If you want happiness, you've got to go after it. But boy, boy, we have an entire generation today who want the product without the pursuit. They want the product of happiness. I want happiness, and you're supposed to make me happy. (laughs) My goodness, it's hard not to get in the flesh, isn't it? They don't want to pursue it. In In this country, we have wonderful opportunity. It's the land of opportunity, the opportunity to pursue happiness if you want it. But if you want to be unhappy and grumpy all the time, just stay at home in the recliner. Now, the government's trying to change that. They want you to be happy in your recliner, and that's why they take all that money out of your paycheck every week to give people happiness who do not want to pursue it. Probably shouldn't have said that, but I did. (laughs) Listen, as aggravated as I get with people who demand happiness without pursuing it, I can do the same thing spiritually with God. I want what God's prepared. He's prepared. I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered in the heart of man. God's prepared all of these things. But sooner or later, if you want what God's prepared, you've got to pursue it. You've got to go after it. You've got to decide. You're going to quit being envious of other Christians who had the spiritual fortitude to go after the blessings of God, and you're going to go get some for yourself. After a while, you just got to decide, I want it bad enough. So number two, notice the opportunity was to pursue it. This is why Matthew 6.33, the Bible says, to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, what does the end of Matthew 6.33 say? And all these things shall be added. I don't know about you, but I want all these things. I want what God's prepared. If God made it, I want it. You know, there's, there's some of you ladies, you can cook that way. It doesn't matter what you cook, it's going to be good. And I've never heard of it before, but hey, if they're cooking it, I want it because it's going to be good. That's how God is. If God's mixing it up, and if God's preparing it, I assure you, you want it. But you've got to do what Matthew 6.33 says. You've got to seek after it. Look, the reason so many of us this morning are missing out on the blessings of God and all that God's prepared, it's not that we don't know what to do. Here's the problem. Flip it over. We're just not doing what we know. All right? It's not like God is camouflaging his blessings. All right? I noticed in the cabinet last night there was a 
package of Oreos that I have not seen since my wife went grocery shopping. I, I saw them this morning. I sure did. Do you know what that means? She's been hiding them from me. They're part of her holiday baking, okay? She was baking all these holiday Christmas. I hate using the word holiday. Christmas goods. She's making all these Christmas. And so she hid them from me. We're talking about real Oreos, not twist and shout, okay? Real Oreos. And I opened the cabinet this morning. I was getting my coffee, and there was almost an entirely spent package of Oreos. I realized what was happening. She hid them from me so I wouldn't eat them so she would have something to bake with. Now, look, God's not like my wife. He doesn't hide the Oreos from you, all right? All you got to do is read the book. The book gives you the knowledge to what God's prepared, all right? But you've got to decide, I want to pursue it. The guy says, boy, God made known to us that Jesus is going to be born, and we're, we've come to find him. Verse 2, the Bible says we are come. We're coming after him. Why? Because we want what God says that he is to us. One of the most, probably on a weekly basis, I talk with people about is, uh, and I, by the way, I'm thankful for this, people who are seeking the will of God in their life. So I just want to know what God's will is for my life. By the way, every one of you ought to be seeking that this morning. What is God's will for my life? And probably one of the things I talk about most is trying to help folks figure out what God's will is for their life. And here's something that we always get to in that conversation. They'll say, I wonder what God's preparing for me, and I wonder what God wants me to do here. I wonder what God wants me to do there. Here's one of the first questions I always ask them. Are you already doing what you know? Are you already doing what you know? Look, do not expect God to show you what's next if you're not obedient to what he's told you to do now. All right? Don't expect for God to show you what the next two, three, four, five years are for your life if you're not doing what he told you to do today, all right? Be faithful over the few things, and God will show you the many things. The problem is we camp out and say, God, show me the many things, and I'll do the few things. God says it doesn't work that way. Here's what they did. They just took the knowledge of what they had. They didn't know everything. They didn't know exactly where he was going to be located at. The Bible says in verse 1, they went to Jerusalem. They knew exactly the, 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 the habitat that he would be in, if you will, the, the manger or, or where he would be at. They just knew that he was going to be born. They says, we're going to take what we know and we're going to run with it. Folks, can I tell you this morning, God will reveal more to you concerning his will for your life if you just do what you already know. All right? Just do what you already know. I think about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when God called him. God told, him, God told him in verse number one, he says, I want you to get up from where you're at, from your father's house. And I want you to go into a land that I will show you. He says, just get up and go, and I'll show you the rest later. I think oftentimes that's why I miss out on seeing what God wants to provide for us later. Because I like to get up and go of what I know to do now. Folks, God wants to show us some stuff. God's prepared for us some stuff, but we've got to be faithful to do what we already know and what they knew was the Savior was being born. Number two, the opportunity to pursue. In just a minute, we'll have an invitation. And that invitation is going to give you an opportunity to pursue what God has already made known to you. There's no need to come and ask God to show you what you don't know if you're not already doing what, if you're not doing what you already know, okay? God will show you the later, but you've got to be obedient to the now. Years ago, we lived in Florida, and uh, it's amazing how things come to your mind. I thought of this this morning, and I rode a school bus, uh, Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. I rode the school bus there to Ponte Vedra Palm Valley, the school that I went to, and uh, this particular day, the bus driver says, you don't get off at your house. 
And I thought that was kind of odd, second grader, wondering why I was not supposed to get off at my house. And she had a note from my mom. And the note says, I'm supposed to get off at this other house. I didn't know who lived at the other house. And I'm kind of getting kind of frantic, you know? Uh, you know, thinking this bus driver's trying to kidnap me. And she got my mom to write this note. And then, you know, I'm going to end up, you know, somebody else's kid. And so I told her that she stopped the bus at the house. She says, get off. I says, no, this is not my house. She says, but I have a note from your mom saying you're supposed to get off at this house. I said, but this is not my house. I know that's my mom's writing, and I know that's my mom's signature. It's very familiar. She says, get off. I says, no, 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 I can't. Finally, she says, she says son, you're supposed to get off at this house. This is your mom's house. Okay. So I'm now getting off the bus. It's somebody else's house. I don't know who their house is. These people are. And as soon as I step off the bus, I look behind the bus, and there's my mom's car. For some reason, my mom was meeting somebody there at that house that day and, and wanted me to meet the bus to get off of there. That way we wouldn't have to make two stops on the way home. But here's what I had to do. I had to be, be obedient to what she said to find out what she meant. And as soon as I took the steps of obedience to do what the note said, I found out the rest of the story. Now, folks, some of you are holding out on your obedience to God. You want God to unfold the red carpet and show you what's next. And God says, nope, just be obedient to now. Do what you know. You'd be amazed. It'll open doors for you, and you'll see God's will for what's next after that. So number three, number two, the opportunity to pursue. And then the last part is my favorite. This is really what the first two points are just introduction to get you to the last point. Look at the last part of verse two. It says, we've seen his star in the east and are come to do what? To worship him. Now, here's, here's boy, I tell you, let this sink in just a little bit. They said, we've come from the east to worship him. Now, here's what you got to understand. All the religions of the east, they're false religions. They're pagan religions. Babylon and Persia. There's a chance they were proselytes, but... I want you to understand that as magi and as people who are astrologers and study the stars, to come and to worship the king of the Jews would go against everything they ever knew and everything they'd ever been taught. So here's what I want you to think about. When they were given the information from God of where Christ was going to be born, it provided them an opportunity to prepare. It provided them an opportunity to pursue. But then they come to a crossroads. And they have to decide whether or not they're going to go and worship him or stick with what they already know. So number three this morning, I believe you'll see the opportunity to purpose. They had to decide who they were going to worship. Now bring that back to us and I think you'll see what we're getting at. So often God speaks to us. And the Holy Spirit will make his will known to us or we'll read the word of God and we'll know what God's will is and he'll make it clear to us. But then we come to a place where we realize in order to do God's will, his will is challenging everything I know and everything that I am comfortable with. It's at that point that we have to decide who we're going to worship. Can I contrast that with you with Herod? When Herod heard of the birth of Christ, he was in an uproar. Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse number three, Herod the king had heard these things. He was troubled. Why? Because the coming of Christ would challenge his throne. 
Now let that sink in for a moment, folks. So often, what Christ wants to do in our life is going to challenge us sitting on the throne of our life. And we have to decide who is going to get the worship. Who is going to sit on the throne? Now, folks, you're going to leave here today either a wise man or a Herod, one or the other. You're going to decide to give way of all that you know and all that you understand to what God has made clear, or you're going to push away him and do what Herod tried to do and try to destroy it. That's where purposing comes in this morning, deciding who is going to sit on the throne of your life. That's ultimately what it boils down to. Who is going to have his way with your life? The wise men said, you know, we're from the east and we worship Baal and all of these things, but God has made clear we're going to worship him. They made up their mind. We see this in the life of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was given the message of the word of God from Jesus himself, but what happened? To trust Christ and accept his word, it challenged his lifestyle. The Bible says that rich young ruler went away from there sorrowful. He had to choose my life or the one that he's offering. He says, you know what? I'm just going to keep my life. And how often do we do that? You know what that's doing? That's worshiping self. The wise man says, we're going to put all of what we know and all of what we've been taught and all of what we understand on the back burner so that we can go and we can worship him. I know as a parent in 2019, it's difficult to live a life, to raise a child, to build a home, preparing for the coming of Christ. Why? Because it flies in the face of our culture. What is our culture about today? You live for the here and you live for the now, and you please self. But you see, the Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 10 that we're to exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. What does that mean? We're to encourage one another. Hey, Jesus is coming. Not only will we be prepared, we need to be pursuing him. And we need to be purposing in our heart that he is going to be the one who sits on the throne of our life. So the last thing, look at verse 2 and we're done. The Bible says, we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They says, we're prepared. We're pursuing him. And we've purposed that he will be our God. So the question this morning is simply this. God made known to the wise men that he was coming. He says he's going to be born king of the Jews. And the Bible says they came to worship him. They decide, you know what? We believe what God says and we're going to start preparing. How are you preparing for the second coming of our king? Can I ask you, are you pursuing the second coming of our king? Are you looking for it? It ought to be a blessed hope. Listen, it ought to be the glorious appearing of God. It shouldn't be something you dread this morning. Take the opportunity of the word of God and prepare and pursue and then finally, purpose. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us this. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Talking about this world and this life. So many things that we put as high priority right now. The Bible says one day they'll all be dissolved. It's kind of hard to believe. All those animals that I worked so hard to hunt and to get mounted and put on the walls of my office, they're going to burn up one day. And the Bible gives us a question at the end of that verse. It says, what manner of persons ought you to be knowing that he's coming remember he's one for one knowing that he's coming you ought to prepare knowing that he's coming you ought to pursue him you ought to be looking for him and knowing that he's coming you ought to purpose in your heart as the wise men did he's the one that's going to sit on the throne knowing that he's coming the bible says what manner of persons ought ye to be so the question is this 
Are you going to be a wise man this morning? Or are you going to be a Herod? Are you going to be a wise man and just receive what God says? And you know what? I'm going to take the word of God and use it as an opportunity to prepare, to pursue, and to purpose in my heart that God's going to be the one sitting on the throne. Are you going to be a Herod? Are you going to try to get rid of it? Are you going to try to push him away? You say, I, I can't have somebody challenging my throne. This is my throne and my life, and I'm not going to let God take the place. Listen, that's fine. But I assure you, the wise men ended up the better of the two. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to stand to your feet this morning, and I want to ask you a couple of questions. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let me